Howdy, folks. I trust you're enjoying my hiatus just as much as I am. But as promised, I'm here to dangle a little bait. Just enough to keep the fish biting. And tonight, we have a doozy on the hook. This following episode was wildly popular when it was released late last year over on Patreon. So without further ado, an unlocked Monsters Among Us Beyond episode just for you. And as a quick reminder, I'll be back with Season 13 on March 10th. Enjoy. Welcome to Monsters Among Us Beyond, number 50. I am your guide, Derek Hayes. Hello folks, and welcome back to another Beyond episode. It's a pleasure to have you here with us this evening. And tonight, we're going to circle back to this Rewind series. And tonight's guest is special indeed. Now as a podcaster myself, I don't often get the chance to listen to many other shows. But on that rare occasion, I have a short list I go to. And one of the men behind one of those podcasts is joining me this evening. Well, you might know our next guest from television shows such as True Blood, Hot in Cleveland, and Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. But you likely know him as one of the hosts of the podcast Bigfoot Collectors Club. Joining us on this evening's Rewind is Michael McMillan. Michael, thank you so much for being here. Well, hello, hello, Derek. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Ooh, I'm on the Patreon. Ooh. Yeah, you're on the... Well, you guys, you're the other side, and ours is beyond, so we kind of have the same idea going on here. There you go. And then, you know, like, somehow those two realms meet over here, I guess. <laughs> it's like a, a melding of universes, I suppose. Yeah, it's like, you know, the old... Uh, uh, if you ever read Wizard of Oz, how you'd look at the old maps, and they'd be like, there's Gillikin country, there's Munchkin country... They all touch, so you're beyond. We're the other side. It sounds terrifying, I'll be honest. That we're movie all... gives me the creeps. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm one of those people. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's the folklore of it or just the imagery, but that movie creeps me out. Well, then certainly you, you're creeped out by Return to Oz, because Return to Oz is the scariest movie of all time. I, I haven't even seen it, probably oh. for that reason, yeah. There's like a headless witch... And then there's uh, the the Wheelers, who are like these weird punk, patchwork punk rock dudes with weird masks and and just wheels on their legs and arms, and it's it's very scary. This sounds like our future, actually. Masks, <laughs> wheels everywhere. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. that's, This is December, I think you're talking about, right? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. It's Wheeler December 2021. <laughs> Get ready, everybody. Everybody, hang on to your hats. Well, uh, Michael, if you don't mind, uh, for those of us that don't know, uh, I know who you are, but I guess some of my listeners don't. Could you tell us how you got into the paranormal? What was kind of your catalyst to, to kind of 
uh, delve into all this crazy crap? Uh, sure, yeah. Well, I mean, so I'm an actor and uh, occasional writer, um, and we've been doing the podcast, Bryce Johnson and I, who's a fellow actor, and our on-mic producer, Riley Bray, we've been doing Bigfoot Collectors Club for almost four years now. Uh, but I was into the paranormal long before then. I just, you know, I was one of those kids, probably like most people listening, that you know, gravitated towards the weird section of their public school library. I would check out all the books on UFOs and ghosts and Bigfoot and cryptids. Um, the Daniel Daniel Cohen's book on cryptozoology was yes. like one of my favorite. I guess it covered other things too, but like uh, he was one of the early authors that I remember reading in elementary school and those leaving lasting impressions. Um, there always seemed to be something around the house growing up. Uh, I had an older sister who liked Bigfoot and, you know, so she would tell me stories and there was always a, like, I'm sure we had books with like the Loch Ness monster in them and mm-hmm. everything. So I was just always, I don't know. I think it's, I'm wired this way just naturally i've always had a you know big imagination i've been into comic books and fantasy and sci-fi and so i've always gravitated towards the paranormal um and the unexplained big x-files fan growing up uh watched you know exclusively the unsolved mysteries that involved aliens i didn't care about the true crime stuff (laughs) um you know spent sleepless nights terrified that alien greys were going to abduct me um yeah so this is really i've just i was born this way i guess is what i'm trying to say uh but yeah so we you know i wanted to do a podcast and was looking to do something at the time that kind of took me out of the daily um rigmarole of auditioning and the business Mm -hmm. and kind of wanted to do something that was a little bit more left field um obviously this has changed i think a lot in the past four years as well uh because there are so many podcast paranormal podcasts and stuff but i wanted to you know, I talked to Bryce about creating something that would be um, a more conversational, a little bit more fun, not taking the subject super seriously. You know, I loved Art Bell and Coast to Coast. Sure, um, yeah. I started to lose touch with Coast to Coast in recent years. So I was like, I want to, I miss just the like, let's talk about weird stuff. Um, so that was kind of the goal with Bigfoot Collectors Club. You know, we're in the comedy zone, you know, comedy. Uh, category in 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 itunes but i think that's you know we're paranormal first and then i guess comedy second but it, i can't believe there's still not like a paranormal banner in in i, I couldn't agree more i was actually crazy. i was reading reviews this morning which i i do on occasion and i was thinking that same thing i'm like why am i stuck in these categories that really don't make any sense for my show whatsoever like travel and leisure i think is the category i'm i found yeah. myself in which makes yeah. no sense just give us an unexplained at the very least an unexplained yeah. Uh, category that that we can exactly. kind of lump ourselves into true crime and everybody can kind of jump in there. Yeah, come on. Yeah, so come on, uh, Apple, get yeah, with it. that's it. So I've just always been into it, and um, I had had some weird experiences in the couple years leading up to the podcast that I think probably pushed it over the edge for me to go, okay, let's let's talk about this stuff because Bryce. Bryce and I would get together uh, for because we've worked together a couple times as actors, and then you know we'd get together every six months and have lunch and you know complain about auditioning, and then <laughs> always our conversation would gravitate towards the unexplained. And I was just like, "This should be the show. Let's just do this. Let's yeah, let's talk about this stuff." Well, you guys have certainly captured lightning in a bottle. There's just something about the show that's wildly entertaining. You guys are both entertainers, so you. Uh 
you, you don't do what I'm doing right now. You stumble along and try to think what you, you, oh. you got everything ready. You're ready Trust to go. Trust me, we do stumble <laughs> along a lot. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't come off. It, it well. sounds seamless. It sounds great. And of course, <laughs> Riley's a big, uh, a, a big uh, component to component, that. Yeah, I absolutely. guess. Yeah. Yeah, Riley well. brings this like whole level of you know Riley's comes from a music background, also into this stuff, mm-hmm. and um, you know about twenty thirty episodes in, we were like, why aren't why isn't Riley like composing music for the stories of high strangeness that we share on the show? And so that became a thing. We first started doing it; he would just do it live, you know, sort of like talk show band style. Mm-hmm. And we really are a talk show because we also bring in, you know, actors and writers and comedians to share their own experiences. Um, but we've we've been mixing it up, especially during the pandemic. We've been doing more deep dives with just the three of us, so it's not always guest guest heavy. Yeah. But it is it's a chat show. Um, so in the second half, we always do a story of high strangeness. And Riley's been composing those. And then as we've been sequestered during the pandemic, Riley's like really turned these in. He's gone from like just doing notes on a soundboard that sounded really cool and ethereal to like doing almost full on John Carpenter level scores. <laughs> like it, it's got to be ha- nice to have him in yeah, your pocket like that. right? It's great. You know, um, anything you say th- is instantly more creepy and, and more <laughs> yeah. dramatic the second he hits those keys, I imagine. Yeah, it's tough, too. He, he keeps setting the bar higher and higher for himself then he'll be like we'll get into jam some week where we got to turn an episode around really quickly and he'll be like dude i just i i i I don't know i don't have i was just like hey man just don't worry about it whatever you put out is going to be great so don't don't stress you're like pushing yourself further and further to meet this you know level of quality that's hard some weeks you're just not going to be able to write a full Hans Zimmer you know back, <laughs> background to this so don't worry about it. don't worry about it it's it's nice to strive for that though it's I think that certainly brings yeah. out the best work in, in anybody that's if they're willing to push themselves they're, they're going to find something in there that they're they didn't even know existed I guess totally totally well, we could sit here and, and bullshit all day long, but let's get into some of these stories, Michael. Cool. Um, let's do it. I've got some lined up here that are kind of in line with your life, if that makes any sense. And not Ooh, to sound like okay. too much of a creeper, but I went online and, and looked up a few things about where you were from and what you've been doing. And we're going to kind of follow that path a little bit with some of these stories. So we're going to kick off this evening with uh, somebody named Michael, ironically, in the state of Kansas. Now, Kansas is where you're from. Is that correct? Hopefully That's correct. correct. I grew up. Uh, uh, I grew up on the uh, eastern side of Kansas, Kansas City, Kansas, ten minutes from the Missouri border. So uh, I was dipping my toes in Kansas City, Missouri, all, all the whole, you know, almost weekly. It's all just one big metropolitan, greater metropolitan area. It's sure. confusing, but uh, yeah. So I grew up in the suburbs of Kansas City, Kansas, in an area called Olathe, which is really weird, uh, really near Overland Park. These are for very few specific listeners who will enjoy <laughs> both of them that are names. there listening yeah, 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 yeah. From, from Kansas right now. Uh, well, I'll, I'll save all the questions until after the story. So let's just go ahead and jump into this real quick. Uh, again, Great. this is Michael from Kansas, and this was originally featured on Season 10, Episode 15. Hi, my name is Michael Brown. I'm from Salina, Kansas. I have a story that happened with me and five other buddies. It happened right outside of Salina, Kansas, in a little town called Tescott, Kansas. It was off Shipton Road, and it's this uh, location called Hot's House. It's an old house. Hot's, H-O-T-Z is the name, I believe, the last name of the person that used to own it, probably in the late 1800s. The house had been known to 
have a lot of haunting experiences, known midgets jumping on people's backs in the basement um, and whatnot. But our experience was there was six of us guys in a Honda Civic driving out to the house off of I-70, one of the main highways that runs through Kansas. It was probably about one in the morning when we're driving out there. And the house is in the middle of nowhere. And we get off the main exit off of I-70, the exit towards Tuscott, Kansas. And we turn on Shipton Road, which is the road that go leads you out to the house. The house is still out there to this day, but it had a fire, so there's only the limestone left of the house. So we turn on the road, and we are heading out to the house. It's six of us in a little little Honda car, so there's four guys in the back and two in the front. We pull up to the house. There's a bunch of trees surrounding the house, and you can't really see the house. It's probably about a quarter mile from the dirt road. So we pull in front of the house, park the car on the side of the road, hoping that nobody drives by and, you know, gets us in trouble for going up to the house. And Amanda, that owns the property, that used to own the property, would come out with a shotgun if you ever saw anybody out there. Lots of satanic uh, practices, et cetera, uh, that were done out there. So we get out of the cars. We have a, all we have is our little cell phone lights. This probably happened 15 years ago, I would say. So cell phone lights weren't as bright as they are now. And we had a spotlight that you had to plug into the cigarette lighter, but we couldn't bring it with us. So we're exiting the car. We have to crawl through Bob wire to get to the house. Once we get out of the car, we hear a hissing noise, but there's no power. There's no propane or anything at this location. It's completely from probably mid to late 1800s. There's also a limestone tunnel that some believe that there was a slave tunnel that was an escape tunnel back in the days. But I think it's something more evil than that. But it's a natural limestone cave that's under the basement that I've previously been out to the house during the day and have been able to jump down into it. I mean, it's usually full of water. Who knows how far it goes, though. But anyhow, we are starting to walk up to the house. There's cow pies, chunks of bob wire all over the up to the house, so it's hard to really get a quick entrance or exit from the house. And we, again, hear this hissing noise the whole time consistently as we're walking up to the house. It gets louder and louder as we get closer and closer. None of us understand what the noise could be, but as we get closer, it gets louder. So the front entrance to the house, you can see the two basement windows, and then there's the main level that's probably three or four feet off the level of the ground. So there's a stairway to the right of the house that you have to walk up and go left into the house. So we're getting up to the cement pillar, and if I was to stand in the basement, I'm at about 6'2", if I was to stand in the basement and look out the window, it would go up to about my upper chest. So you could see the upper chest from my, that part of my body. As one of us, two of us are on the cement platform in front of the house, a couple of us are about to walk in. Someone yells, they see something go from one window to the other window in the basement. So it freaks us out. And this whole time, it's a noise. I'm again sounding almost like a propane being released, getting louder and louder. We can barely hear each other talk at this point. So at this point, we kind of get freaked out. We have golf clubs and baseball bats, et cetera, um, just in case there might be some drugged out people or et cetera that might be out there. So we start walking backwards, kind of holding on to each other. I remember my brother was with me, and he was kind of holding on to the side of my shirt. We're probably from 18 to 22, maybe, age-wise. I'm 34 now. So we start to leave the house, walk back towards the road, get to the dirt road, get the spotlight. We shine the spotlight onto the house, and then a couple of us see a long, white-haired figure crawl out of the basement window onto the cement platform and kind of sit with your knees up and your legs between your knees, kind of, 
almost like a lion might sit or something on the front cement pillar. So at this point, again, it's about a quarter mile from the road, and we have a spotlight through all these trees, so it's a little hard to see what exactly it is, but we could see two glaring eyes from the light and long, white, like Gandalf-style hair, and it looks real lengthy. And we all saw this creature, person, thing, whatever it might have been. We're all trying to make sense of it as we see it. All of us are athletic built. You know, I wouldn't say super tough guys, but somewhat. And all of us got a really bad feeling and decided not to go venture and see what this thing was that we saw come out of the basement window onto the cement platform, just kind of looking at us. So we decide to leave. We get in the car and we're heading back. And we're probably, I think Tess gets probably 20 miles from our hometown, Salina, Kansas. And we are heading back on the highway. And we get off the dirt road, off of Shipton Road, getting back onto I-70. And we get about a mile in, onto I-70 and something hits the front of the car. It's probably 2 in the morning. There's not many. There's only a couple semis on the highway, not many cars at all. So we're thinking maybe an animal. And we all felt the hit in the car. Again, we're packing this car, four guys in the back, two in the front. So we could, we really felt something hit the front right of the car. So we turn around, and we're trying to see where this animal might have been. Because we're already freaked out from seeing this creature, whatever it was, at Hot House. So we turn around to try to see the animal we hit. And about a mile or maybe a half a mile past that same point, roughly where that first time we got hit was something hit the front of the car again on the right side shredded the front tire but then it popped the tire just the shred came off so we're all freaked out as you can imagine at this point we pull over the side of the highway again at that point no semis or any cars passed us on a, a high traffic gated highway because i'm guessing because it was two in the morning we get out and we see brown gunk all over the front right of the car which could have been from came from the tire but it was a solid gunk once we touched it. It wasn't like guts or any kind of pieces of animal or anything like that. So we're out there, you know, thinking Jeepers Creepers or something equivalent to that kind of thought. And again, it didn't pop the tire, just took off the tread. We didn't have a spare tire. We're probably be another 10 or 15 miles. We have to drive back into town on this tire. We look out in the field, look around, listen for noises, don't hear anything at that point. So we slowly drive back 40 miles an hour on a 75 mile an hour highway, get to a gas station and all just quietly kind of went our own ways at that point. And to this day, we have no idea what it was, but my boys and I really enjoy your stories and uh, thanks for the time. Hope you guys are on the show. Thanks. Bye. Thank you, Michael, for sharing that story with us. And uh, you, Michael. Tell me what you think of this. Now, when you think of Kansas, you don't immediately think of the paranormal. I can think of maybe the Sally House, maybe a couple other things here or there. Uh, but as far as this story is concerned, you know, they're legend tripping. They seem to have found something. Is this typical for a night in Kansas or is this something? Um, this was fun. This is a really great story to listen to because we would do we would do what I now know is called legend tripping when I was in high school. We wouldn't go. We weren't as far out west as Salina. So... You know, but we could get to rural areas pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. There was an area near where I grew up called Stoll, oh, um, yeah, which was Stoll about cemetery. 40 minutes from me. Yeah, the cemetery in Stoll was a super creepy one because that was supposed to be um, one of the gateways to hell. And there was a legend that the devil had walked in the chapel's graveyard there. And the graveyard's still there. The chapel is no longer there, I think. Um 
but used to be able to go down there and there'd be like beer cans and spray painting and you know it was also somebody's like underwear there's always somebody's underwear yeah yeah things. somebody's underwear is there yeah, it's, yeah and also like i grew up in the you know i was a kid in the 80s and early 90s you know and we we're still piggybacking on satanic panic back then um there was an area really close to where i grew up called Baines Crossing cuz i you know where i lived it was suburban but it was the house I grew up in was considered, even though I was in a neighborhood, it was considered the sticks at the time because uh-huh. we were kind of the one of the neighborhoods that was the furthest south. And then once you went south of us, it was a lot of like uh, ranches and farms, not farms, but just like pastures and, you know, woods. You know, I grew up in a really bucolic little neighborhood with, you know, a creek running through and woods next to me. So it was really really easy to access spooky stuff in my mind there was like an old farmhouse in the woods you know the foundation of an old farmhouse next to me um and uh so i always felt like oh an alien could land in the field behind my house you know or there's ghosts around but stole was one of them and then this other one bane's crossing which was rumored to be a place where uh, Satan worshippers would get together and sacrifice animals. Um, so people would always go down there and try to find animal bones and weird stuff. And I think usually you would just find stuff that other teenagers had gone down there to look for stuff. Yeah. You know, and left shit. But yeah, this makes a lot of sense. I mean, Kansas is a really spooky place. Big, wide open skies. Long stretches of nothing. I seventy where Michael's talking about. If you've ever driven between, you know, Kansas oh, yeah. and the West Coast, that is <laughs> the rough. worst part. It is rough. It's rough. The Garden of Eden is out near that area, which is really cool. Uh, this artist, I, is, I can't remember his name at the top of uh, top of my head, but he was like in around the turn of the century. He uh, built this like all these cement statues and gardens and sculptures, and okay. then he buried himself in a mausoleum there with a glass coffin top, where you can like go and look at his body. Um, and he's still like preserved there. That's one way to uh, go so, out, I suppose. Yeah, I think Kansas is like especially back in the day, like back in the early 20th century. You know, Kansas. You know, we think of Kansas as being very conservative now, but it was like a real leftist radical place and a lot of like weirdos lived out there you know Hmm. a lot of artistic people um and yeah so this doesn't surprise me that he would stumble upon an old creepy house out in the middle of nowhere off of i-70 and see something strange that that really rings a bell with me have you ever heard of what what they ran into I, i guess you could describe it maybe as one of these pale walkers that people seem to be talking about um yeah, what's up? Are you well, familiar with those at all, I guess? I'm not really familiar with a pale walker, no. I'm okay, not. well, from the calls that I've been receiving, and I've probably maybe close to a dozen over the past couple of years, it's this humanoid creature that's seen, uh, typically it's like Indiana, Ohio, Kentucky, but I guess, I guess I've received reports all the way down to like Missouri and, and those areas. But it's like a seven, six foot tall uh, humanoid, pale skin, no hair, um, and they're just creeping around. I, I don't know what they're doing out there. I don't know. So where they're they like come a from. tall, tall golem. Like a tall. Yeah, that's a good way to describe it. Actually, yeah, uh, just um, a creepy little yeah. hairless guy. So they Skinny, kind of. Gaunt. Yeah, yeah, that kind of fits a little bit of like Skinwalker or Wendigo kind of the vibes. rake. Uh, some the rake. Yeah, yes, there's yes, some yes, other yes, ones yes. that people have have associated with this. Uh, so well, this. Yeah, go on. Sorry. I was just going to say, it seems like uh, you know, like the, the rake is obviously a creepy pasta, but maybe this is something that was that inspired that creepy pasta or something along those lines. 
It is true, you know, but I have to say, listening to this, it is also, like, very possible that this is a really emaciated hermit living out in the middle of nowhere, you know, because yeah. that's... But in, in, at that point, what's the difference between a rake and just a man <laughs> who's, like, living off, completely off the grid exactly. in the basement of an old creepy house? So it's hard to tell, Um so I, I would never rule that out, you know, especially with the long, white Gandalfian hair. It's like, I'm thinking, okay, maybe this is just a guy who really wants to be left alone. And maybe the hitting hitting something with the car is just a, a coincidence. Sure. Um, all said and done, though, a very successful legend tripping. And, oh, no you kidding. Know, yeah. Who knows what, what's really going on there. And I would be total creeped out. This also gave me, like... Uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre vibes as oh, well. Of course. It's like, it's, don't go into that house. You don't need to get any closer to that. Just <laughs> stay out of there. You know, on my show, I do my best to, if I hear something I think I can, I hate the word debunk, but explain away, I usually try to do so. And in this case, I can't help but think that maybe they saw an owl. Uh, you know, there are barn owls that live in Kansas that are tall, white birds that, yeah. you know, if you see the right angle, it, I guess it could look like hair. It could be a white figure walking back and forth. It Old could be something cr- as like simple as that. Like a crane or something down yeah, there. Yeah, I know just, now people are booing us. I know, but, I know, um, but to me, if you can if you can dismiss one of these logical theories, then that just makes the story much more scary. You know, if I say, oh, it's an right. owl, and then you come back and say, well, it can't be an owl because of this, this, or this. I'm like, well, wait a minute. This just got a little spookier because this whole time I thought it was an owl. My, I guess when it comes to humanoids like that, where they're pale and they can look closely human, my, I tend to go, okay, well, I would want to rule out hermit first. I would want to rule out human first, and then let's get into that. So I think there's just as good a chance, if not more, that this was some creepy old timer living in the basement, which to me... Is just as creepy. Just as creepy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Even like, more creepy because it's valid. It's there. I mean, yeah. the guy exists. And there's, there's some no timelessness to that, right? You know, it's yeah. like this guy li- Like he, this guy could have been around in medieval times or now. You know, it's still. It's always arch- There's something archetypal about that. You know, the the human living on the fringe fringes of society on the threshold of wilderness and society. Yeah. I find that just as fascinating as a Sasquatch in many many ways. You know. It, and the thing I can't help but think of is put yourself in the hermit's shoes. He's there at 2, 3 in the morning at his house or his home, whatever he's made out of this place, and suddenly a car full of teenage kids shows up. That's got to be yeah. terrifying uh, on his angle, too, if this is a hermit in there. Yeah, or he loves to freak them oh, out. Yeah. So that's he's his like, favorite right, thing. Showtime. Let me strip down. Let's go uh, <laughs> perch like a lion on this rock and freak these kids out. Uh, that's that's not, what I would do. That's honestly, something I would if I was do an too. old hermit, I'd yeah. be like, oh, let's give him a thrill. That sounds like a great time, actually. It's a good yeah. way to pass the evening. Well, I, I enjoyed that story, and, and it's actually hard for me to find some stories out of Kansas. So this is one of the better ones, and I was I was happy that Michael called it in. There's but, a lot of like ghost stories, western ghost mm. stories. Um, you get down into Dodge City, oh, okay, which is in Southwest Kansas. You can you can find some cool stuff. There's also it's not as widely popular, but there are some uh, UFO abduction stories out in western Kansas. We did one recently. We were covering the summer. All summer long, we've been doing Wet Hot Alien Summer, too. Mm, summer I have abduction. my T-shirts. Yeah. Oh, thanks. So uh, we just recently covered the uh, stories on the Michelin UFO knots. 
Yes. And these are entities that are, for lack of a better description, described as looking like the Michelin Man. I think they're probably some kind of suit or astronaut suit, um, but like ribbed like the Michelin Man. And mm-hmm. there was a couple out in western Kansas who were abducted. Uh, this is like in the 70s, I think in 1976. And their abductors were those Michelin Man uh, type oh, wow. entities. Um, they had sort of a typical Betty and Barty Hill, like they're poked and prodded and sent back down and um, drew pictures of these weird. They almost look like a cross between alien greys and a Michelin man. Uh, but I know that was out in western Kansas as well. And then close to us on the Missouri side, there's uh, not too far from us, there's the Joplin, Missouri spook lights. Oh, yes. So there's yeah. like orbs that people go and park their car and watch. And then there's something near us, like uh, about a half hour where I grew up, there's a uh, creature called the Ridge Runner. I'm not familiar with this, to, but you got to tell me about it. It's, it's I a love really, that name. It's a small local legend. This is one my buddy Dave told me about uh, a couple years ago, but there are reports of a cat or wolf-like creature that will run alongside the road or run up against your car and scrape your car. It's very lizard man of skateboard swamp, swamp style. Uh, and it's got been it. called the Ridge Runner. So we have our little local, you know, we got our local cryptids and UFO stories. I love that name, sure. Ridge Runner. That's, yeah, it's cool. It's clever. Right? It's a clever it name. It should be like a great high school mascot. Yeah, no know, kidding, like the, right? Which, the East Wichita Ridge Runners or something yeah, like that. Yeah, like a werecat. That'd be cool. <laughs> um, well, let's move on to our next story. I, I heard a rumor that you, you like UFOs. And, yes. and uh, as you said, wet, hot alien summer is in full swing right now. So I dug this call up from an anonymous source out of Arkansas. Now, this call originally aired on season two all the way back uh, in the fifth episode of that season. So uh, this is that anonymously submitted story. Hey, I've got a story coming from uh, when I was stationed at Little Rock Air Force Base, Arkansas. That's in the city of Jacksonville, about 20 minutes east of Little Rock. Uh, which is Arkansas state capital. So I worked graveyard working with the C-130s, the cargo planes that they got over there flying training missions. And uh, I worked uh, the grave shift for about three years. It was about 6 a.m. on a cold winter morning. It was actually around uh, February when this happened, February of 2014. It was around 6 a.m. We're uh, preparing the planes to fly off, do their missions. There were about eight of us, and we were on graveyard shift. Well, around 6 a.m., we're getting ready for uh, for shift change, but to avoid that noise, we go out onto the flight line, drive out there with our bread truck, stand in front of the jet, make sure it's ready for, for takeoff, all that stuff, but usually doesn't take too many people, so for the most part, there's like six of us out in front of the planes, kind of talking, hanging out, getting ready to get off work. And at about 6 a.m., the sun's rising, and it just creates this beautiful glow across the sky, this beautiful red haze mixing with the blue night sky. And it's just this beautiful light show in the morning for about 30 minutes. One of my coworkers, uh, he looks up and goes, hey, what's that? We all kind of looked up, and we saw this this rocket-looking thing shooting across the sky. Well, I say rocket because it was a looked silver. It was like a silver metallic-looking object. It was uh, reflecting the the light of the sun off of it. It was actually it was uh, it looked like it was kind of shimmering, which is what made us identify it as a rocket. And uh, it had like a fire coming out of the back end of it, 
like it was being propelled forward. We concluded it wasn't like some space rock or something or some space dust because firstly, it was way too low. It was way too low. Uh, we see planes flying all the time in the sky. So for the most part, we always, we really, we really know how flat, how like high a plane normally is and an altitude for reference. So for reference, when we actually saw where, how high this thing was, it wasn't terribly high, like where a comet would be so far away in the distant sky, it was definitely within our sight to where we were able to identify that it was it was some object. I'm not gonna say UFO. I don't I don't know because we don't know what it is. But we were all looking at this for for about a solid four or five seconds, and before we knew it, it just kind of evaporated. Like if you blink, this thing was gone. So for five seconds, we're observing it, and with all all of us looking at it, eyes wide open, we're just like, "What is that?" And before we knew it, it was it just it just disappears, like it vanishes into thin air. Like like you look at somebody, you turn around, and and they sprint off, and they're gone. You have no idea where they went. It was it was definitely baffling. Eight of us Air Force guys, Air Force mechanics, standing there wondering what this was, and. There, there are no jets in the vicinity of Little Rock, so we we concluded it wasn't a jet. And for the most part, if it was if it was some type of jet fighter, you would hear the engine, you'd hear the sound of the motor, you'd you'd hear all of that, you'd hear the boom it would make as it flew over you, as the sound of the jet tries to catch up to the jet itself, because jets actually fly faster than the sound they make. It didn't make any sound at all, but it, it had this fire that was coming out of it, and it was a metallic-looking thing that was bouncing the light of the sun off of its skin and to this day we have no idea what it was and um, that happened at Little Rock Air Force Base in 2014 in a cold winter morning thank you caller for sharing that uh, well, Michael, I did a little bit of research on this. At first, I thought, you know, they were doing some SpaceX launches from Texas, right? Right. So I thought, well, clearly the guy just saw this. But then I started doing the math. This sighting took place in 2014. And the very first launch down in Texas with SpaceX wasn't until, let me check my notes, uh, it was April of 2019. So oh, wow. there's a good five-year difference here that tells us that might not be the case. Um, yeah. What do, you, what do you think of the call overall? Do you have any well, initial the, thoughts or you know, yeah, what comes the first to mind? Thing, the first thing that jumped out at me, and I say this with all due respect for someone who's serving in the Air Force, I did enjoy that they said, uh, I don't want to call it a UFO. And it's like, <laughs> no, that's what it was. It was an unidentified flying object. By definition, it, yeah. Yeah, by definition, it was a UFO. Doesn't mean it was aliens, but it 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 was a UFO. Um, but that's just funny how like synonymous like you know now when we say UFO people think aliens when yeah, it's really yeah. just like guys remember you know not all uh, you know uh, what is it all uh, all all squares are a rectangle but not all but rectangles aren't a square so um, all bourbon is whiskey but not all whiskey is bourbon I think is, is another good example but all bourbon is delicious um, <laughs> that's, that's true as well. So this reminded me of the ghost rocket stories that were happening in Europe, uh, pr- like right before the flying saucer cra- uh, wave and craze hit in in 1947. So I'm not between, familiar with these. You're going to have to elaborate a bit. I think. Well, I, so in between World War II and then 1947 out here in L.A. So 1947 saw a huge flap of 
We had basically two big flaps in the late 40s and early 50s. We had the 1947 wave, mm-hmm. and then we had the 1952 wave. And 1947 is, you know, within just a few short weeks, we had the Kenneth Arnold sighting when he saw the Chevron, nine Chevron-shaped UFOs flying over Mount Rainier. Mm-hmm. And then that story, as he says, he described them as flying as if they were saucers skipping over water. And then that was truncated to flying saucer. So that's where we got that term. Yeah. Then we had the, um, oh gosh, what's the name of it? It's the something Harbor incident. Shag uh, Harbor. Sha- yeah. Yeah. In, Shag Harbor. Uh, Nova Scotia, in, uh, I believe. Nova. Yeah. Yeah. Where, or it was on, um, I think it was on the other side. Wasn't it up near Vancouver Island? I think, am I thinking of the same? This is the one where like the guy and his son, uh, claimed to be in a boat and donut-shaped UFOs hovered over them and dropped a bunch of metal debris. I think we're talking about two different we two different be. cases. Uh, man, I can't think of the one you're thinking of that did take place in just outside of Seattle, I think. But Shag, yeah. Shag Harbor actually took place Shag in uh, just I don't think we've done Shag just outside Harbor. of Nova Scotia in 1967. I, okay. I, ironically, I just watched a report on this uh, like yesterday, I think. Um, and they did some missions to try to find uh, the crashed craft at the bottom of the ocean. But what they think happened is it oh, actually yeah. submerged and then just took off. Whereas what you're talking about actually dumped molten lava down, yes. and killed a dog, I believe. I'm part of yes, that story. exactly. Which I, that's my least favorite part. I'm talking yeah. about the Maury Island UFO. That's right, Maury Island. Maury Island. Yeah. So apologies, everybody. Um, so that was one where uh, Ray Palmer from Fate Magazine and and Kenneth Arnold, because this happened like within a week of him doing press went up to investigate it seems like there might have been a weird hoax but they also met these like government men who then mysteriously died in a plane crash after they after they met with them also has some early mib stuff and then we have almost the next week we have the roswell incident so that's all 1947 it's a busy week um yeah busy busy couple weeks in in june and july of 1947 but uh i really went off on a digression there because in between like world war one or World War II and uh, 1947, there was, like, in Europe, I think in Sweden and in France, they were seeing what they called ghost rockets, which were more like they were UFOs that seemed very rocket-like, like the way that this guy is, is, is describing with the fire shooting out of it at the end, um, and nobody knew what they were. They were just people thought that maybe they were... Um, world, you know, newly burgeoning world superpowers testing weapons, mm-hmm. um, but they had unexplained behavior, kind of like this thing. Um, so that's what it made me think of uh, when I heard that. I was like, "Oh, this is like an old school ghost rocket that you heard about um, in the '40s." And weirdly Europe. enough, I've never, I've never heard of that. But it, uh, another cool name, ghost rocket. I mean, you immediately yeah. know what they're talking about the second they say it. So yeah, I mean. That was a great game between the East Wichita Ridge Runners and the North Wichita Ghost Rockets. <laughs> there you go. 104 to 105, it was a nail yeah, bite. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I thought it was interesting that, that you know, these gentlemen were on a, a military air base when this took place. Yeah. You know, they were all in the military. They all saw this thing, acknowledged that it was strange. Uh, you know, like you said, he didn't want to call it a UFO, but that's exactly well, what it was. And you can't rule out that maybe this was some sort of secret testing that these guys wouldn't necessarily know about oh, of course you know yeah, what i mean yeah. um but i always love it i i think you know these uh air force servicemen and women like if they're seeing something they don't understand you can't comprehend like listen up and take note you know what i mean like yeah. they know what they're talking about so 
I, I imagine I've I've never been in the military myself, but I imagine there's some sort of test they give you or some sort of information they give you about uh, estimating heights and and uh, um, you know trying to identify craft that you see flying overhead. I think it would be valuable for any soldier to have that information, yeah. have that ability. So you would think that these. Um, military guys were trained in, in observation at the very least. Oh, absolutely. They know what they're talking about. So yeah. who knows? I love it, though. That's a classic UFO. Yeah. What is it? We it's, don't know. It's definitely wild stuff. Well, moving on in your life, this is, this is, there's an old game show that used to do this. Uh, oh, man, what was the name of that show? I think it was This Is Your Life. This Is Your Life. Yeah, that's what it was <laughs> called. Uh, so, so, Michael, This Is Your Life. Uh, eventually, you made your way to Hollywood, right? Um, did you move out to become an actor? Were you one of the guys who I just did. came out yes. and, and stumbled into it? Or? I, I studied theater in college at a place called Carnegie Mellon in Pittsburgh and then did a showcase of, you know, like, hey, uh, I can do a monologue and I can do a scene uh, for agents in New York and L.A. and got picked up by an agent out here. So I, nice. I came, came straight out to L.A. So, yes. Sounds like I've your path here. was easier than most. Yeah, yeah, I was very lucky. It does. It doesn't always remain easy, but I, I, I had a very, uh, very privileged and easy like entry into L.A. Yes, yeah. so I'm thankful for that. I, I, I moved out that. here almost 16 years ago to be a writer, and tried mm-hmm. my best for 10 years, and and took off with my tail between my legs and started a podcast. So that you know what? <laughs> hey, dude. I, I mean, I started a podcast like it's, you know, I, I yeah, you come at it from all angles. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's funny how, you know, looking back now, like when I first started the show, I didn't think, well, podcasts aren't even like a real medium. Like nobody listens to these. I mean, it's just something I kind of did for fun, honestly. And now it's kind of evolved to a thing where, I, I, I couldn't give you numbers, but certain percentage of people in the car you see driving around are listening to some podcast of some sort. So, oh yeah, uh, it, there's certainly gained in popularity, and I, I don't think once, I don't think it's a bad thing for either of us to be involved. Once in this. moms figured out <laughs> yeah, how to listen to podcasts, it was all off. Yeah, you know, moms, off wine, and true crime. That's all yeah. we needed to, yeah. to jumpstart this. I know. If only we could go back in time. <laughs> no and kidding, right? Restart this. Whole I, I'm endeavor. your true crime expert, Derek Hayes. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, so anyway, you moved you moved to Hollywood. So let's let's play a little Hollywood call. Now this one's about old Hollywood, which I'm sure you are familiar with. Yeah, there. Uh, yeah there's yeah. some some good stuff back in the old 20s and 30s, um, in the hills, the lower hills. I guess yep. they didn't really even have houses up top at those. Days. Well, that's that's the without getting too specific, that's the area that I live in. So. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. yeah don't tell my fans know. where you live; yeah, they'll yeah, come yeah. find you. <laughs> So anyway, uh, this is Kate's call. She's actually in Colorado now, but she originally submitted this in season four of episode 16. Kate, go ahead and take it away. Hey, Derek. This is Kate from Colorado. I actually grew up in a house that was kind of haunted. It was an old house built in the 20s in Los Angeles. It's in the Hollywood Hills, and it kind of creaked and moaned all the time. And I remember when we first moved in, my mom brought us together. We were really young, and she just told us, they're ghosts in this house. Be nice to them. Tell them, if you don't like them, tell them to go away. But always be nice. Don't don't be mean to the ghosts. And we completely freaked out about that and had nightmares. And my parents got a big fight about it. But I think she was kind of right. We don't really talk about it too much anymore. But there's definitely something in the house. Um, an old woman died in actually my sister and I's bedroom before we moved in. And she died of a heart attack of old age, but she was really lonely. And um, I guess a few things that happened. One was we had a basement room 
And my mom's into I Ching, so there were some iron bells hanging in there. Really, really heavy bells. Like you have to, you have to like shake them to get them to move. And I was down there reading, and one day the bell just rang really, really loudly, and nothing else moved. The knob on the bell was moving, but nothing else. It kind of freaked me out, so I went back upstairs where there was more light and got out of there for a little while. Other times, everyone in the house has heard their name called without being anyone else being there. Um, I heard my name called really, really loudly one time. I was in the shower, and it sounded like my mom was um, in danger or in trouble. She was just screaming my name, and I just ran out of the shower as fast as I could and ran downstairs, and my mom's just sitting at the dining room table reading a book. No problem. Um, and she was pretty freaked out, and I was pretty freaked out by it. I've never seen anything, but we have... Oh, man, things getting knocked over, things kind of moving, like items from the kitchen ending up in bedrooms and bathrooms without really anyone touching them or talking about them. I mean, honestly, it's become really familiar to me, and so now I wouldn't ever want to live in a house that wasn't a little old and had a presence. But, yeah, I've got some other stories, but I figured that one might be good. The haunted houses are always kind of my favorite. I think that if you are just kind to the ghost or kind to the spirit and tell them thank you but you're not really into it right now or thank you i thanks for being around here i i see you i hear you i understand that you're here they really appreciate that because i feel like a lot of times they they're probably pretty lonely so um yeah when i move into a house i thank the house for letting me be there now and it's brought pretty good vibes in my life Anyway, I hope this is usable, and I really love your show, and thank you for doing it. It's great to hear everyone's experiences, and there have been some really, it's really uh, inspired me. So thank you. Have a wonderful day. Thank you, Kate, for sharing the story. Uh, so, Michael, are you familiar with with any hauntings or anything like this in this area? Like, I've heard you talk about them before. What, Dude, what can you tell us? I live in this area, and I feel like the hills themselves are haunted. I've had, I've had paranormal and unexplained activity. I've been in this building for that I'm in for over ten years now, about eleven years, and I've had weird shit happen here that I can't explain. I've had, um, I've seen orbs. Float through my bedroom at night. Self-illuminated um, or reflecting? Uh, self-illuminated. There you go. Like little bright gold and blue orbs like floating a little through. Christmas light just floating. Yeah, right? a little. Yep, yep. Yeah. Coming down through the window, pass, just passing through the walls. Um, I've had... Uh, I haven't had any ghostly activity here, but as listeners of Bigfoot Collectors Club... No, I um, have had a very strange encounter with an entity outside of my building. We can talk about it in a minute. I don't want to steal thunder from this story, so we can talk about that. But yeah, definitely, I feel like these this area was already brimming with activity before anybody settled here. And I think there's some old, weird stuff happening here. Well, it's you know? a super old area. I don't think people realize it, but... L.A. was settled by Europeaners in, like, 1760s. That's, yeah, that's pretty to, old. It was kind of... So you had San Diego and you had San Francisco, and those were, like, the big 
like fancy port towns mm-hmm. and the respectable port towns. And then L.A. was kind of like the Moss Eisley spaceport. <laughs> it was like where the scum and villainy hung out. It was, I think there was maybe, maybe I'm making this up, but I think that there used to be like silver mines around here or something, but it was like, it was kind of a shitty port. And yeah. it was, it was like if you were a, a scoundrel, you would hang out here. And it wasn't really until the movie business came out here and people started building because there was space and it was cheap. You know, it was really the the film industry that made a Los Angeles a big town. Yeah. But before that, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't the big port town that San Francisco or San Diego uh, were. And that wasn't um, until, like, the late 1890s, right? The, oh, the yeah. The film really became yeah, a early thing. early 1900s. Yeah. So this was like a Wild West port town. You know, like, if you're playing Red Dead Redemption 2, this would be, like, the city where all the, like, smugglers hang out and shoot you if you piss anybody off. This is like, where I'd be hanging out, probably, let's be honest. Yeah. Those Look, are my people. I'm also, like, paraphrasing history that I read, like, <laughs> a long time ago, so if I'm wrong about any of that... As I long as it's entertaining. Yeah. That's yeah, half yeah, the battle. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, the other thing that, again, I'm, I'm just remembering things that I heard, too, but... There's a lot of missions that run all the way up the West yep. Coast here, and I, I'm pretty sure one of them was actually in where downtown is now, and that's sort of why people congregated to that area and sort of built it up. It started as you know a religious center. Yeah, that would make a lot of sense. And then in the early, um, like twenties, like tens and twenties, uh, and maybe into the thirties. Um, I'm not sure about the uh, exact time and date, but like. Where I live around here, there was a bunch of like new age societies that mm-hmm. started up. There was the Cretona Society. It was like a spiritual movement, and they they were going to build like the utopian village here, and that fell through. But you can still see like the old walls of where that oh, wow. like um, convent was. And then there's not too far from here the Vedanta Church, which is. Um, I think it's got to be, I don't want to say what religion. I think it is based in an Eastern religion. I'm not sure which one. Um, it might be um, Hindu or Buddhist. Um, it might be its own version of that. I'm not sure. But I know like Aldous Huxley like hung out there when he, and would, you know, meditate and um, and then go home and like trip on uh, mescaline and like... <laughs> You know, so there's like this in this area, there's a lot of like new agey stuff. And of course, now, not too far down the road from where all of this was, is like the big Scientology celebrity yeah. center. So there's been all these versions of like new age thinking and new, newer religions here. Um, and you missed the Manson family. You missed uh, Manson, a lot of yeah, serial killers up, that have operated out of that the, area. Hey, they were up in the valley. They were up yeah. in the valley. Okay? Well, they, they did a lot of their um, work down, I guess, yeah, they in the did. Hills. That's true. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, like, it's just a, like, weird, weird place. L.A. is a weird it town. And definitely I also place. think that sometimes, like, spaces like this pop up in weird places where there is already pre-existing strange energy or supernatural energy, you know? Yeah. It just makes sense that people would gravitate towards an area where there's like, and then it all just kind of reverberates and feeds in on itself, you know, and it gets spookier and spookier. Yeah. Well, people keep building on top of existing things as well. Yeah. I mean, they just keep recycling the land and yeah. we know what happens when, when you do that a lot. So, and the, the other thing that's near me is, uh, the Hollywood tower, which is the, what the haunted, you know, the haunted Hollywood tower of terror from, yeah, from Disney, Disney world yeah. is based on. 
And I've known people, I've met people who lived in that building. And, uh, I mean, the story is that, like, um, that, oh, boy, oh, boy, why am I blanking on his name? It's, like, the most famous Citizen Kane. Hello, director. Orson Welles. Yeah, Orson Welles lived up there and had a penthouse apartment, was having a party, and guests were leaving the party, and the... There was a storm and lightning struck the tower and the elevator broke down and people fell in the elevator and died. And that's basically what the Tower of Terror is recreating. Um, I'm not sure how apocryphal or truthful that story is, but that's the story. Yeah. And my, I've met friends of friends I had lunch with. And this is in the early days of BCC, and they were telling me that they lived in one of those apartments towards the top of the Hollywood Tower. And they were like, we had so much paranormal activity in there. It was nuts. Like disembodied voices. Wow. They had activity, poltergeist activity. They would, it was one of those things where like, they'd be in the kitchen cleaning up. They'd walk into the bedroom for a couple minutes, come back out, and every cabinet door is open, fridge doors wide open. Wow. So that kind, that kind of weird, weird stuff um, happening there. So it's just a haunted, haunted place. So this story fits right in there, does not surprise me. And I want to say nothing is scarier to me than hearing your voice be called out by a recognizable voice like your mom and it's not her that is the scariest to me any of that mimicry you hear it with ghosts sometimes you hear it with ufo stuff you hear it with bigfoot even it's just any of this paranormal stuff seems to have that element to it and it's creepy as hell that trickster shit i'm not here for it (laughs) i do not i do not like it's unsettling for sure because that means to me that whatever this is is like taking notes, mm-hmm. you know? There's a plan in place of some sort. Yeah. I mean, although, like, so my sister has parrots, right? And my and she's like got a Quaker and an Indian ring neck, and they're awesome animals, and they're super intelligent. And they mimic, you know what I mean? They, like, learn phrases. They say it back. They can do, like, R2-D2 impressions. Nice. They can hum the Game of Thrones theme song. You know, they can't really do it on command, but they do it. Um, and sometimes they do it like if you're petting the dog, they'll go, oh, sweet baby. Look at the baby. You know what I mean? So they they do. There is intelligence. Yeah, behind some it. association there. So I guess it's also just possible that whatever supernatural field is out there can even if it's not a intelligence in the way that we would personify it is able to record and play back learn from human behavior and play it back so in that way i guess it's not as scary to me uh, unless it is like some sort of entity that's like i'm going to be tricky now and freak you out you know for the sake of sleep i think a lot of people like to think that it's some sort of natural reoccurrence that there's a mineral or something that records sound or can record a section of time and it just happens to play it back. When right. I was a kid, I remember seeing, and this might have been on the television show Sightings, which was on Fox back in the day, but I remember yeah. seeing them talking about monks that used to chant in a cave somewhere in Tibet or something. I don't know where it was. But now, 100 years later or whatever, they can go in this cave and still hear the monks chanting because the, the rock makeup has the same ingredients that Memorex tape had. 
uh, when, what? They, when they created the tape. Cool. I, I'm going to have to find this and put it on a future show or something like that so that I don't sound like a crazy person. But that's what my memory tells me took place. And they did all these studies to see you know, what these minerals were, what these elements were that were actually capturing the sound. And it was just reverberating it back into this cave, which I thought was, was really Dude, interesting. that's wild. Um, I just wanted to circle back and uh, say that Vedanta is a school of Hindu philosophy. Oh, so there was, we go. Close. So, right. so all my Hindu should, listeners are happy now. I, I should know this, and I apologize for being ignorant. Uh, so there you go. Hey, hey I, I didn't know either way, so you're completely fine. <laughs> this is why we do a podcast. This we can is why learn we learn things, stuff. right? Exactly. Yeah. And, and that's, exactly. that's the beauty of Rewind. We can casually figure this out on the fly. We don't have to know Kate, it all. Th- that, but, Kate, that's a freaky story. And especially because if it is a, a Memorex-style rock thing, was there an instance where her mother was screaming her name in pain? Yeah, Because this doesn't sound like that ever happened before, you know? So I don't like that. This... I don't. This seems like some weird intelligence behind it. That's yeah. that was from with her. So no, thank you. Fun I say stuff. no, thank you, sir. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. A lot of us listening tonight would drop everything to help someone we care about. We'll go out of our way for others, but how often do we give ourselves that same treatment? This month, BetterHelp Online Therapy wants to remind you that you matter and therapy is a great way to make sure you show up for yourself i can personally say that therapy gave me the valuable tools needed to help me deal with difficult emotions in a healthier more constructive way rather than pushing them down only to find them boiling over at a later date and i really believe that therapy can help you too no matter what you may be struggling with Now, BetterHelp is online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Give it a try and see why over 2 million people have used BetterHelp online therapy. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, and Monsters Among Us listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com forward slash Monsters Among Us. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash Monsters Among Us for 10% off your first month. Now, as always, supporting our sponsors supports the show. So thank you for listening. Now back to the Unlocked episode. Well, you know what? Before we move on, why don't you go ahead and tell us that story that you teased a little bit? I, I happen to know the story because I've heard you say it on the show, but uh, yeah. I think my listeners well, are really going to enjoy this. If you, I'm sorry. I apologize if you've heard this one before. I've talked about it a couple times, um, but it is a weird one. Uh, long story short, um, I will preface this by saying I had just been out to Roswell for the first time a couple weeks before. And oddly enough, this incident happened around the Roswell anniversary. This was June 29th of 2016. Okay. And um, it was it was f- around 4 o'clock in the morning. I woke up. So at the time, I had a bulldog named Albie, who was the best. Mm-hmm. And Albie would alternate between sleeping in his bed in my bedroom and then going out to the couch and sleeping out on the couch. Um, and in my living room, we're on the ground floor, 
and the couch is near the window that looks out onto the pathway that runs alongside of the building. So that's all you really need to know. Uh, I guess also there's like, you know, there's a little rock garden out front with little spotlights that beam up towards my window. So if anything was standing between those spotlights and my window and my closed drapes, it would project a silhouette or shadow on onto it, like a shadow puppet. Um, so I woke up to hearing my dog growling lowly from the living room. Not a good start. Not a good start. <laughs> and I also have another dog, a terrier, that was sleeping in bed with me. And I, just my first thought was like, oh, I knew that my neighbor Kyle was working nights on a film shoot. And so I figured he was coming home. But Albie knows him and doesn't growl. So my only thought was like, oh, he's going to start barking. And then Violet will start barking and they're going to wake everybody up. And I didn't want that to happen. But I was I was slowly coming to waking up and hearing him. I sat and listened to him growl for a good 10, 20 seconds until I started to feel it escalate. And then he suddenly leapt into woo, 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 like intruder bark. Oh, no. My terrier jumps off the bed. She runs out, starts barking her high-pitched guard, guard dog bark. And I'm just rushing out there to shush everybody up. And I, I come out of the back, and I look up. And at the window, I immediately see a silhouette of a figure. And my first thought is, oh, someone is peering into my window to break into the apartment. Mm. And then I see that the silhouette doesn't look like a human silhouette. It looks like a classic alien gray silhouette. It's like that inverted spoon-shaped head and a thin neck. Now, the the, the windowsill, uh, where the windowsill, it, it's about three and a half feet off the ground. So this thing, all I could see was head and neck, very thin, very big head, and... um. It would it would have been about four and a half feet off the ground. So again, classic alien gray perfect size style yeah. size. Now, I'm somebody that's always been freaked out by alien grays. I've always been scared that they were going to come abduct me, and then I'm. But I've always been like, nah, that's just anxiety and that's irrational. That's Robert Stack. Honestly, I think he's yeah. he did that to yeah. me too. So personally responsible <laughs> yeah, for this. 100%. Thank you, Robert Stack. Thank you, sightings. I hate all of you, Tim White. Yeah, thank, thank yeah. that guy as well. Um. So, it was funny. Now, all of this is happening in the matter of seconds, right? But I thought, you know, as a dog... And my dogs are seeing this. They are looking directly at this being or this figure at the window and going apeshit. And my first thought was, okay, somebody's breaking in. My second thought was, whoa, that looks like an alien. And as soon as I thought that, the figure at the window turned its head, kind of cocked its head as if they were suddenly aware that I was there. And I could hmm. see it undulate and I could see where the neck fused at the back of the skull. And it looked like a golf club. It was that. It was like a, not as long of a head as E.T. Still, again, classic gray short, but I was like, oh, this is weird. It undulated. It like moved in a very jim hensony kind of puppet way and then when it moved you know you hear like what uh, stories of like why didn't you get a camera why didn't you do this why didn't you do that Mm -hmm. you know and i'm standing 30 feet away um i 
don't have my glasses on, but I think if I did, my vision is good enough that I could I can make out the figure. And I mm-hmm. think if I did have my glasses on, my windows, my drapes that were drawn are sheer enough. I probably could have seen through and gotten a little bit more detail there. Would you um, have wanted to, I guess, is the question. I don't know. There. Well, looking back, I don't know. Yeah. So it undulated. It turned its head. And that's when I went, oh, shit. And I turned on my light and the hallway, and this thing just took off running towards the back of the apartment. Now, dogs are losing their minds. I quickly grab my glasses. I'm shushing them down. I go out on my porch and look in the direction where this thing ran off. And I don't see anything. I look over to my right. And my neighbor comes out on his porch, the guy that I thought was coming home around this time. Mm-hmm. He's like, what's going on? And I didn't want to say what I thought I saw. I just said, there was somebody peering in my window. And he's like, dude, you are freaking me out so much right now. And I was like, why? <laughs> and he goes, because I got home about an hour ago. I've been winding down. I've been watching Netflix in my bedroom. And I kept taking my headphones off and looking around because I could have sworn there was something in my apartment watching me. Oh, wow. And I was like, okay, so we did a sweep of the perimeter and could not find anything. And if a human had been back there, we would have heard and seen somebody get up and run. We have a little back alley that they could have gone down. But nothing, 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 nothing. That's wild. So I go, I go, hey, will you humor me? Will you come stand right here? And he's like, sure. And I was like, can you just like bend down and look in my window? So I went back in. I stood where I was standing. I looked at it with my glasses on and my glasses off. And the figure of Kyle, who was like a five foot eight, you know, five nine man, bending over, looking, and it looked nothing like the silhouette of what I saw. Like you could see shoulders. You could tell that somebody was hunched down. I was like, nope, this is not what I saw. Hmm. I saw thin neck, big head, and I've you know. If my dogs hadn't seen it and been the ones to alert me to it, I would have thought I had hallucinated the entire sure. thing. It was wild, you know, and I have to, like, take into account, you know, okay, I didn't get a clear image of this, so maybe maybe it was something that, you know, that just looked like an alien. But I'm telling you, this looked like on-the-nose cliché Steven Spielberg, a close encounters alien. Like it huh. looked like it was the same shape as the figure that stands outside the craft at the end of close encounters and like raises its hands up. Towards I, I the can craft. picture it right now. Yeah, It was so it was all. And this is the other thought that I had like in the moment. And at the time I was like, that was almost too f- cliche. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like it almost that the, the cliche ness of it made me go, well, that couldn't have been that because that was so f- on the nose. Yeah. You know, So it's a gray alien. I mean, if you really think about the description you just gave, what else could it possibly be? Uh, You know, I suppose somebody with a deformity possibly, but that is the closest thing in our vocabulary that I can point to and say, that's what this looked like. Now, no other phenomenon, no light phenomenon, no strange dreams that night, no sense of missing time. Um, uh, no UFO eyewitness stuff happened. I checked for around for stuff the next day. No reports that, of any yeah. of that stuff. 
I don't know what this was. I will not go. It was for sure an alien gray that came out of a spaceship. I'll say that's the closest thing that I have to describe it. My gut, my gut kept telling me that I caught wind, that I saw something, and actually I only saw it because my dog saw it first. I got a real sense that this was something that was more akin to like a leprechaun or a gnome or an elf. It's almost like the Jacques, I got the Jacques Vallée vibe from it, that this was some sort of elemental or interdimensional thing Hmm. that exists here that or has the ability to cross over and pass through. And I was not supposed to see it. Yeah. It made me feel like I felt more like the figure, the character in a story who catches a leprechaun sitting on a toadstool than I did a person seeing an alien out of a spaceship. And that's just what my gut told me. It was almost like I caught a raccoon in the wild, you know, but this is more rare than a woodland, your typical woodland creature. Sure, sure. And I don't know if that means that it is sort of some sort of elemental that's based here, some spirit entity. Again, I've told you I feel like these hills are weird and haunted. So, but I almost had that sense more than it was um, something out of a, a of a spacecraft. But it looked like a gray. So I don't hmm. know. You know what I mean? And it's a crazy and, story. And I have to consider myself an unreliable witness in the story as well. It's frustrating, as I think a lot of these eyewitness stories are. Yeah. Because there's the, like, there are boxes there to, that I couldn't check. But I'll tell you, the thing that I keep going back to is, like, my dog saw it first. My dog saw it. And had they not alerted me to it, I, I this thing would have just walked by and I never, ever, ever would have seen it. Yeah. Well, there's something there's something uh, different about you just telling the story of of you seeing something strange, and then you telling the story where I saw something strange, and both of my dogs saw the same thing and reacted to it. That yeah. gives you all sorts of credence. And my in neighbor this story. being like, I yeah, felt like neighbor, something yeah. was watching me. It's just weird, you know. It was a yeah. weird, it was a weird situation, weird thing that I can't explain. That's it. You know what I mean? Well, I cannot explain it. Ironically, I have a story that that falls in line with this pretty well. Uh, this took place in the 60s. I don't have the exact date here, but uh, we'll find out here very shortly. This episode originally aired in Season 7, Episode 19. And again, this is Anne from California. Hi, my name is Anne, and this is my mom's story. It happened in Los Angeles, California in 1960, 1961. I was just a baby, but my mom has always told this story, and it's always the same. Anyway, my parents had immigrated from Europe in like 1957, so my mom was a homemaker with two little kids at the time. Um, She didn't speak very much English, and she certainly didn't read or write any English. We lived on a property that was pretty large. It was about an acre, and it was in the shape of a rectangle. There was a house in the front where my aunt lived, and we lived in the house towards the back of the lot. So anyway, so she was doing laundry, and... um, We didn't have a clothes dryer, so she would always take the clothes out and hang them out on the line. The clothes line was not like the ones they have today where they're like in a circle. This is old school, so it was like two metal tees, and then the line was strung between the two metal tees. So anyways, she was taking the clothes out onto the porch, and it was a sunny morning, nothing unusual, 
So um, she stepped out and she had her basket of wet laundry in her hands and the house was kind of elevated. So she had to go down these steps. And so as she's carrying the basket, she's looking down at the steps so she doesn't fall. And then once she hits the ground, she starts walking towards the clothesline. And as she's walking, she's looking at the clothesline and she suddenly stops because she sees standing underneath the clothesline is this little silver man. And she said she just stopped and was completely frozen with fear. And so she's looking at him and he starts motioning for her to come. And she says that she hears in her head that he wants her to come. So she said she dropped the basket and she turned to run back in the house. And she said the next thing that she remembers is that she's in the kitchen and it's not the morning anymore. And that's all that she remembers. She doesn't remember anything else. So shortly after that, we moved to a suburb of LA and now it's like the 1960s, you know, UFO talk is everywhere. And so I'm telling my friends, you know, the subject comes up. So I tell my friends about the story. And when my mom finds out about it, she's like not happy. And she tells me, don't tell anyone about this story. And I said, well, why not? Isn't it true? And she said, yeah, it's true. But no one's going to believe you. And I don't want people to think that I'm crazy. So don't tell anybody the story anymore. So I didn't. And then, but then later on as an adult, you know, I've always been interested in UFOs and hauntings and all that stuff. So I um, asked her about the story because as I'm reading all of these different tales about UFOs and such, I always thought when she told me about the little silver man, I always pictured the silver man being like an astronaut with his silver suit on. But she said, no, that's not what he looks like. And when she described him again to me, I realized what she was describing was what I would think would be a gray alien. Yeah, it's a really strange story, but um, that's it. And I just wanted to tell you how much I enjoyed the podcast, and I think you're doing a great job, and I have other stories to tell, so I may be calling back. Thanks again. Bye. Uh, Thank you, Anne, for sharing that with us. Uh, Michael this is pretty similar to what, to what you're describing, right? I mean, a similar build to the creature, same location. Yeah. Did uh, you see any other similarities here that, that um, ring about you? I mean, I mean, the thing, I, I, I like that the, her mom describes this as a little silver man. Mm-hmm. And I think it's noteworthy that um, this happened before the term alien gray was in the lexicon. Yeah. And in some of these early alien gray stories... You heard about them wearing silver jumpsuits. So um, I think this all tracks for the time and place. Um, again, no UFO involved. Mm-hmm. No bright lights, just the appearance of the figure. Feels like a very, feels like, again, a story that could be in line with the Fae, you know, or the fairy folk or the Hilda folk. Um, where something appears kind of out of nowhere and beckons somebody to come with them. Yeah. Um, yeah, weird stuff. I love this story. This is the kind of thing that I am into. Like The history mom, of it, yeah. It's- yeah, and just mom, like, a person who's not expecting something like this to happen, happening. And that's just where I was 
when I had my experience, middle of the night, not yeah. thinking about aliens, not doing, not even doing a podcast yet about aliens. You know what I mean? Had been to Roswell, which I think is weird. You know, I almost felt like something followed me back, or the intelligence was like, "Hey, are you into this? Here we are. Yeah. Hi." You know, kind of like looking back. I don't know. Um, hmm. I love this story, and and I think it's a very human. Uh, response to be like, don't tell anybody this. No one is going to believe you, and I don't want them to think your mom's crazy. Like, I understand that fear. Yeah. I remember, like, telling my brother-in-law was the first person I told that story to. And I... And I've heard this happening in other eyewitness stories. Like, I had almost, like, a hard time getting the words out of my mouth. You get that a lot, actually, yeah. You know, where I was like, I... I was... And he was like, take your time, take a breath. What what happened? And he's a super skeptical guy, and he was really non-judgmental about it, which I appreciated. Yeah, that's helpful. Because I was shaking, man. I mean, I was running full of adrenaline. I didn't sleep the rest of that night. And, and it was just like, when you see something that breaks your brain like that, you know, it's a good thing she didn't go with it. That's all I'll say. I think it was <laughs> smart. Yeah. Smart. Choice, so, but, sounds like she did against her will anyway. There was a yeah. big chunk of missing time involved. So Right. Well, that's true. Yeah. Broad daylight also intrigues me. Any any stories where like these entities, these like you know, small entities just appear in broad daylight always fascinates. I've, I've got another one for you, Michael, and I just found this one this morning. So I actually saw this this morning on a friend of the show, Rob Christofferson's Instagram. And I thought this really tied in really well with, uh, you know, what we got going on here. So listen to this story. Ronnie Hill is the last person anyone would suspect of capturing an alien on film. At the time of the little man of North Carolina incidents, Ronnie was 13 years old, the president of his class, president of the local 4-H club, and the assistant patrol leader of his Boy Scout group. On July 21st, 1967, Ronnie was working in his family's garden behind their home. The first thing he noticed was an odor reminiscent of gas. It caused his eyes to water. There was an unusual silence that had crept into the area. Fifteen minutes later, the silence was replaced with a buzzing sound. The smell of the gas increased. Turning his head, he cut the shape of a blacktop hat-shaped object. There was another object a white ball-like object nine feet in diameter. Convinced that no one would believe him, he ran inside and grabbed his Kodak Sabi 620 camera. Returning outside, the object had landed on the ground. A loud sound hurt his ears, and that's when Ronnie saw a short figure emerge from behind the craft. They were between three and a half and four feet tall, carrying a funnel-like device that they positioned toward the ground. Ronnie was 15 feet away from the man and the object when he took the photo. He could hear hissing sounds during this time, though he wasn't sure if it was the being or the craft. The being, once again, moved beyond the craft, walking with a wobbling gait. The craft took off slowly, the black hat reappearing. The white object joined a larger craft, taken inside by a rod. The being had puffy cheeks and high cheekbones. Their eyes were tilting and slanted. They wore a skin-tight metallic suit, a blue belt, and a silver helmet. Now, this actually has the photograph that uh, this young man captured, and I sent it over to you. Yeah, you got it right there. Does that look like what you saw, you know, if you had to guess? I mean, to describe this really quick, you can check it out in the show notes, but it's just a... 
It looks like a two, three foot tall humanoid shape. It almost looks like a feminine build, if you had to had to give it a guess. A large head that appears to have a helmet or, or something on its head. And it's all very reflective. Uh, it seems to be uh, like the metallic color that's described. Does this look like what you saw? Look, similar stature, but no. I mean, I saw that, judging from the photograph, the head... So the head on this, like, first of all, this photograph is really intriguing, mm-hmm. uh, really fascinating. And to me, sounds like maybe what the last listener's mom saw, because this guy is, like, definitely silver. Um, but you can see there's almost, like, Mary McCheese, <laughs> like, facial features on this thing. Mine was, the thing I saw was a classic smooth, no puffy cheeks, no no helmet, it was like that again. It looked like an inverted spoon, you know, like the pointy chin. Mm-hmm. What, like that the, classic again? Look. Classic cliche alien gray. Like it looks like the decal. Yeah, you know, with a stick neck under underneath it. This looks like this. This brings to mind entities that come up in in a lot of stuff, in like the John Keel stories in the sixties and seventies, like really strange UFO knot stories. This reminds me of the Socorro Saucer story. Oh yeah, uh, from the sixties. Yeah, Ronnie uh, Lonnie Zamora in in um, uh, is it New Mexico or Arizona? I can't remember. I Southwest. thought it was New Mexico, but maybe you you might be right. It might Socorro, be Arizona. Socorro, and I it might be right. Let's let's you know for the sake of it, shits and giggles. Oh, we do have Socorro. the ability to to figure this out. Yeah, I, I remember you know. the thing that sticks out to me about that case is the tripod marks. Yeah, this, it's New Mexico where this craft landed and kind of blasted rocks away. So it looks like little campfires in this um, uh, tripod shape. This is a really weird photo, and I love it because you've got the craft, allegedly, and the entity, allegedly. This just reminds me of some of those, like, kookier, weirder alien store, you know. Yeah, from the 60s and 70s. I mean, that was, like, the golden era of this kind of thing. Yeah, this is, like, a real high strangeness alien. Mm -hmm. Um, Probably height-wise and stature-wise, similar to what I saw, but this is different. This is not... This is not the same silhouette, no, but wild. This is really, really wild. I hope, I really hope this photograph is real. It looks real, but it is like looking at almost like an illustration. You know, part of it, like your brain wants to go, well, this is like a fairy tale creature because it does look so strange. It's also kind of like a Rorschach test too, where... You can make all sorts of things out of this photograph. It's not detailed enough that you can, you think you see a face or you think you see like features in this body, but you don't know for sure that those are actually there. If it's just pareidolia, just filling in the blanks. Yeah, this is weird, dude. I love it. I don't know if this is a guy who set up a puppet and a egg craft, but it's weird. (laughs) Those the egg craft thing was really like a sixties and seventies thing. I mean, so much so that like it became. The shape of Mork's ship on Mork and Mindy. Oh, it's you true, know, yeah. he, he flew in on an egg. Um, it's weird that we don't have as many flying egg stories as we did. So who knows what this is about. But this is the kind of stuff I love. These yeah. weird, almost sci-fi B-movie creatures. Something that m- could look like would come out of, like, uh, you know, early early Star Wars aliens. You know, I, lo- I love yeah. this. Or Star Trek. Like, give me this stuff. Like... 
all day long. This almost this looks wild. like Lost in Space, honestly. If, if yeah, you were to pin yeah, it down yeah, yeah. to a, a particular program, I would, I would yeah. say that. Yeah, that or Doctor Who, yeah, you know, yeah. something strange. So, I don't know, dude. This is wild. Fun love stuff. it. Love that story, and I love this photo. And how weird is it that I just – I read that this morning, I think, and, and I already sent these calls out to you and said, you know, these are what we're going to cover. And I saw that. I'm like, man, it's almost identical. The story's almost identical to what Ann told. So, yep. I, I had to share that. I had to yeah. put yeah. that on the show. So I agree. Yeah, that's a great visual aid. You've got to post that with this episode. Well, Michael, we're running a little bit late on this, so I'm going to give you a choice between two calls here. Uh, have you heard of the Glimmer Man? I hadn't. I want to talk about this because I, I did listen to this call. Let's let's talk about the Glimmer Man a bit. Great. Uh, before we do that, let's play Eric's call from California, and this originally aired on season ten, episode one, uh, and this is Eric's story. Hi, Derek. This is Eric from California. I wanted to call in. I've done that before, and thank you for posting those episodes. I was reminded of maybe a Glimmer Man experience when I was a kid outside of Atlanta, Georgia. I lived in, like, Dunwoody Roswell area in a apartment, or actually it was an apartment complex yet. We would move there because of this incident. It actually really scared my mom. We were in townhouses, and the second line of townhouses, let's say our street made a square, so we were the right angle, we were the y-axis, they were the x-axis, and behind their house was a wooded area, and that wooded area was immediately sloping down. It was a hill. I was probably about five or six years old. I had a big wheel, and my neighbor, who lived two doors down, a little bit younger than me, um, but he was cognizant and smart, and so I'd play with him and kind of just, you know, it was a neighborhood kid, neighborhood friend. So we were racing our big wheels, and we ran behind the x-axis track of townhouses. Well, he sped before me because I slowed down, and to my left is a big fence lining the backyard of these, what, quarter, eighth, 16th acre properties of townhouses, and then to the right are the woods. Well, out of the woods, something compelled me to stop. And it wasn't like, I mean, I decided it, I agreed with it, but it was like, I just had to stop. It was as if something was in front of me, and in my memory, nothing's there. I can see the woods and I can see myself. I can, I, I, I remember stopping on my big wheel. Well, then I'm lifted off the ground. And my mom always told me, you know, she taught me how if somebody stops and asks you, you know, if you want some candy or to see their puppies, you run the opposite way. You run backwards because it's harder for them to drive in reverse. That's how you get away. I wanted to do that. I couldn't because I was five feet off the ground. I was being lifted out of the air, and I still to this day can feel hands grabbing me. Something like hands. I think hands were just the only thing I could and I can compare it to. In any case, while I was up in the air being held up by this invisible being or figure, because something was there, like I felt it, and I knew it was there. It was very cognizant but it wasn't visual I could see my friend who had beat me in the race 
looking back and the look of terror and horror on his face, it was uh, something I can't etch out of my mind. The look of shock, how wide his eyes were. So I know that I'm not alone in this experience. I know you've mentioned some Glimmerman stuff and I didn't know what it was called. But when I described it to the police officer, because once it set me back down slowly and then I just sped off and we ended up like finishing our race, sure, but we weren't finishing our race. We were running for our lives. And then we ran into our separate houses and I told my mother, someone just picked me up. And in my memory, I black out, but I come to and I'm talking to a police officer and she asked me to describe him, what he looked like. And I said he had dreadlocks. I don't know why I said that, but when you mentioned that these people have these glimmer man experiences with people with dreadlocks, not people, these invisible beings that look like predator, it kind of all makes sense. So maybe I'm really lucky. Who knows? I really appreciate the show. I'm going to continue binge listening, but I just wanted to call in and contribute to this chaos you have going. Now, thank you so much, Derek. And thank you, Eric, for sharing that. Uh, okay, Michael, you said you had heard of the Glimmer Man, or is this a, a new I, phenomenon? For you? you know, I, I've heard of, I don't think I've heard of the Glimmer Man specifically. Uh, definitely heard of, like, obviously Shadow People, and then, mm-hmm. like, uh, static entities, entities that show up in the night that look like they're made out of, like, static, from, static from the yeah. old TV sets. Um, and then the closest, I think, to, like, the Glimmer Man I've heard of, and you'll explain this more is the stories again back to john keel of the like grinning man entities mm-hmm. that people would see sometimes injured cold, cold gets, and, lumps yeah. in with that but there was leading up to that there were incidents of like i think there was like a guy in new jersey that a bunch of kids saw standing behind a fence that was wearing like a shiny green and yellow suit like a shimmering suit and was smiling at them creepily um so i hadn't similar. heard of anything yeah, so I hadn't heard anything specifically like this, so tell me what you're talking about. Sure. Well, these contemporary uh, Glimmer Man sightings, I'm talking like late 90s up until today, uh, they're essentially the Predator from the Predator franchise. They're that mm-hmm. technology-based camouflage, whatever it is that, that they've managed to do. I've received tons of reports from the state of Idaho, oddly enough. I mean, I'd say 50% of the calls I've received, and I've probably got 20 calls based on this, uh, and like I said, half of them are from Idaho, weirdly enough. And then other places like Ohio, uh, this one's California. I'm trying to think of a few other places where, where I've had them reported. But essentially, they're just a, a humanoid figure. looks like a, a normal build man, but they're they're um, camouflaged. And, and the, the wave is bending around them. It's just light is bending way. around them or something like that. And there yeah. is some military technology that kind of gives this effect. But from my understanding... And, of course, they're not going to tell us if it is. But my understanding is it's not quite ready. Like, they're not actually testing this out. Right. But the people that run into these things, it's almost as if they were given the suit and said, here, go practice. Go out and scare some people. Because Mm -hmm. the one little girl was in a a rest area bathroom and and doing her business. And all of a sudden, the corner started moving. And there was a person there in the corner. Well, that's not okay. Well, that's not okay (laughs) to begin with. But that's creepy (laughs) as hell. Uh, Yeah. There was another one that I remember from... uh, 
It was from a Missing 411 documentary, The Hunted, I believe, was was that one, where a, a deer hunter in Ohio was actually in a deer stand, and she said this creature walked by while she was up in the deer stand, and she could see it clear as day. And they're all describing it essentially like the predator from those films. Well, and I've heard, obviously, uh, and especially doing the show with Bryce, like this comes up in the Bigfoot stuff all mm-hmm. the time, that Bigfoot has some sort of ability to ability. cloak. Yeah. Um, and look, I, I think like that's possible. It might be some tech. I also think, like, look, our eyeballs can only see a limited range of the sure, visual yeah. spectrum. Um, you know, anybody who has a pet, you know that, like, your pet, your pet can see some things. Like, cats can see some things you can't, and you can see some things that your cat, your cat can't. I can see some things. You know, like, my dogs can't register what's on the TV screen unless it's a really large image that's up close, mm-hmm. right? The yeah. TV, the screen's on, right? So I just think that there, it's possible that there are naturally recurring entities or some of these entities just don't fully register on our visual wavelength. You know what I mean? That like that we're not out. able to see them completely, that they're coming through blurry. Yeah. You know what I mean? And even our cameras aren't catching them. You know, that the, it looks blurry because we can't see the full, you know, resolution of, of, their, of their bodies. You know what I mean? So... That's weird. It is weird that it's so predator specific and like the idea of like it had dreadlocks. Yeah, that's and I, this report is well, the only one I have that I've ever heard of the dreadlocks. And well, so I wonder. So that makes me think. Okay, one of two things. One that the 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 storyteller, the experiencer here, as a kid, connected the glimmering effect to predator which he had already seen Mm -hmm. and so his best way at four or five and maybe you know it's a young age to see it but if you grew up in the 80s and 90s you saw a lot of stuff that you know it's like probably shouldn't have but um, i definitely watched predator when i was five or six yeah yeah yeah, too young so so i could see a kid going the best way i can describe it is dreadlocks because you're associating the glimmering with the predator yeah. that has dreadlocks that's exactly you know what, what i mean I was thinking so, too, yeah. so even if you didn't specifically see dreadlocks you're thinking about the dreadlock man from the predator movie mm-hmm. so so that's possible it's a kid's interpretation of it um also weird that like is this like some weird tulpa thing are we bringing yeah. is our collective consciousness bringing the predator who's now become so firm in our cultural landscape and zeitgeist is it sort of bleeding over into reality in some way that's like, an interesting ability, concept yeah i don't know you know and i don't know where i stand on that stuff but it's like the fact it picked him up that's crazy yeah um i don't know that's really really weird well really weird another weird thing happened <laughs> this morning or yesterday actually i was listening to a friend's of mine expanded perspective uh, Cam and Kyle down in Texas, they, they have their own paranormal podcast. And they, they kind of coined the term Glimmer Man, I think. They actually came up with that term. Before that, we didn't really have a name for it. And uh, they were telling a story on this particular episode that I have to share with you as well. I'm talking about the Glimmer Man. I believe I've encountered this being in my childhood. This is a very vivid memory I've had my entire life. I grew up in Somerset, California in an unincorporated part of El Dorado County. We lived on five acres. I was around six, running around outside. I was in the front of my house by a dilapidated shed that was on the property. All of a sudden, 
Everything went silent. I couldn't hear anything. It felt like I was deaf. No birds or anything. Not even the rustle of long dead grass in the wind. It was completely silent. I thought it was strange. Suddenly, I look about 30 feet in front of me and see something making a beeline towards me. Though I couldn't see anything. All I could see was the disturbance of dead oak leaves on the ground being blown towards me. I then, whatever this was, felt it pick me up, and it held me against the shed in the air. I was then dropped like nothing happened, and it seemed to vanish. I ran inside, crying to my mom. That house had many paranormal encounters while we were there, from shadow men to orbs. Thanks for listening to my story. You guys rock. Garrett. So there we have the same state, very similar stories. A young man outside playing, picked up by this seemingly invisible entity. What do you make of of these two coincidences? Is it a coincidence? Is this maybe telling of something that might have been going on in the 80s? I mean, you can't rule it out, right? You have some corroborating, you know, eyewitness testimony that backs up. I mean, it certainly would make that uh, the listener from the other story feel less crazy, I would imagine. Yeah, I'm sure, yeah. Um, comforting to know that like okay uh this also reminds me of the carl higdon alien abduction where carl higdon was a elk hunter yeah the wyoming encounter yeah Yeah. and he talks about how the forest went completely silent and everything went still and it felt like all of nature had paused right before he uh encountered this weird alien with the drill bit hand uh, that had like offered him little uh, cellophane packet of pills and took him on his like cube shaped spaceship to another planet. So there's that that idea of like everything kind of stopping and pausing. Whether that means that something's interfering, you're crossing over into a like liminal space. That tracks. Yeah, weird, weird it's stuff. Wild. Yeah, I don't. I don't know what any of this stuff is. You know what I mean? I just don't. I love the stories. I love it. Yeah. Um, you want to hear something even weirder? Yeah. So the film, The Predator. You know, there's a guy that created this this uh, look for for the monster. Yeah, Stan Winston, right? Didn't well, Stan Winston, Stan Winston yeah, his his company worked on it, but I think the guy that actually came up with this design, his father was J. Allen Hynek. No. Yeah. Really? How wild is that? That's cool. That's I, never come up on our show before. I don't have his name off the top of my head, but if you IMDB him, he's on there. Um, something Whoa. Heineck. His last name's Heineck, whatever it is, but he's actually his son. So that, And for those that don't know, uh, Heineck ran Project Blue Book in the 60s, and I think it ran almost to the 70s, 69 or something like that, right? Um, so he was probably privy to all sorts of crazy things. Did he tell his son, you know, there's this technology out there that we're encountering? Right. And the son's like, oh, I have a great idea for a monster. Well, and I remember the original monster, and that was played by Jean-Claude, <laughs> Jean-Claude Van Damme, yeah. and it had a much different look. It was more like buggy and weird yeah, looking, like and they were like, we gotta throw, or something. We yeah. Gotta, yeah, we got to throw this out and redo it. Thank God. Um, that's wild. What a cool, How weird what a cool coincidence. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. And of course, like even if his dad didn't, you know, you would have to think that someone who's that creative who grows up, you know, people like conspiracy theorists are like Hollywood knows Hollywood knows all the secrets and they're working with the government to like dis to disclose and do this, you know, or like Spielberg was shown this or that. And it's like, look, 
maybe Spielberg was shown some weird stuff I for Close Encounters. I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't think so. Let me tell you, as someone who works and lives in Hollywood, nobody truly knows what they're doing out here. <laughs> they're just 100% chasing, agree with that. They're yeah. trying to ch- chase success, you know. Um, but creative people, people with imaginations gravitate towards Hollywood. They also gravitate towards this stuff. So yeah. I don't think Hollywood's being told a lot of the stuff. It's just a lot of people in Hollywood are into this shit like I am and are well-researched, and then they put it into their scripts exactly. because it captures their imagination. So I could absolutely see this guy being influenced by his father's work or researching what his father did, coming across stories of cloaking aliens and being like, here we go. This has got to be part of this movie. Yeah. You know, that tracks to me. Um, I don't think anyone's really, you know, working closely to disclose alien, you know. Yeah, I, I don't think so either. I've actually worked, I've worked with the military. I've worked for Boeing. I had clearance for a little while. And I've actually worked in, in films for a good 10 years. And I can tell you, neither set of people know what they're doing, honestly. Yeah. So, yeah, And they're does. certainly not communicating with one another. No, guys, here's the thing. Nobody knows what they're doing. Yeah. All of this is chaos. Exactly. <laughs> it's all like, 100% it's all chaos. hit or miss. It's all hit or miss, you know. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, yeah. Oh, weird, weird, cool stuff, man. I love all this. I love that photo. I'm going to be thinking about that picture for a long time. I got to look into that story. We might need to cover that on, uh, Bigfoot Collectors. Oh, that'd be great. It'd be great. Uh, so I got one more story for you and I'm calling a bit of an audible here. I didn't send you this one on purpose because I want to see your reaction as you listen to this. Now, this is a story I shared with, I think everybody I've had on one of these rewind episodes. And it's got to be my favorite Bigfoot call. And, and you guys are Bigfoot Collectors Club, so we definitely have to round this thing out with a Bigfoot call. So uh, this yes. final call, is, it's a little bit lengthier, but uh, it's going to be worth it, trust me. Now, this is Mac from Mississippi, and all you longtime listeners know exactly what this call is. Hey, Derek. Uh, this is Mac from Mississippi. I was just listening to a podcast and heard that my story didn't come through. Uh, it's too staticky, so I figured I'd record it and I'd email it to you. Uh, that way the quality would be a little bit better than uh, trying to be on a recorded phone line. Like I said, uh, I was out deer hunting, um, and I was in a climbing stand, and I climbed about 30 foot up, and I was sitting there. I lost my balance, and foot and got out from underneath me, and I fell. Um, didn't have a safety harness on or anything like that. I, I sure should have, and, and I do from this point on. Um, but I fell, and... Uh, Shoot, I mean, I was 30 foot up in a tree, so. What was that? Anyway, I fell and hit the bottom uh, running limbs. I was in a big oak tree. When I hit the bottom limbs, it was, it was probably 8 to 10 foot off the ground when I hit. And they kind of caught me. But uh, I later found out that I had broken my back and I couldn't move. But. When I hit, I, I passed out. I blacked out. And I wore glasses, and my glasses fell off. My gun went somewhere. Um, I later found it. But at the time, I, it just fell. Didn't have it with me. Wasn't tied or anything. It just fell. So I get awoken off the tree with agonizing pain. And I'm being, like I said, I'm 8 to 10 foot off the ground laying on these trees. And I'm 5'10", 320. 325. I mean, I'm not a little guy, but I was being lifted off these limbs um, and supported underneath my neck and, and on my rear end by just these gigantic hands. 
and my glasses fell off, and without those, man, I am blind. I mean, I'm literally, I can't see a piece of paper three foot from me. I mean, I'm, I can't see unless it's right up on me. So my glasses fell off, and what happened next is, is, is still trouble. I was lowered to the ground by this creature. I guess you're going to call it a big, you know, Bigfoot Sasquatch, whatever whatever your deal on that is. And it was a female, and I say it was a female because the first thing, it had a, it had a more, it had a feminine looking face. Um, it, if that makes sense, it wasn't, I, I hear a lot of people on these podcasts talk about it, it looked like a big silverback gorilla and all that. This, this, this wasn't, this wasn't that. It was ape-like, but like the cheekbones and the face was, was more slender than you would look like I'd say if I looked at you know gorillas online or in the zoo or pictures the big old wide face and all that it was it was more of a contoured face and she was also had breasts and the breasts were um she was lactating and I'm sitting there in agony man and I'm scared to death I don't know what is going on and she takes her breast and puts it in my my mouth and she tries to get me to drink milk from her breast and she squeezes her breast and a little bit of milk gets in my mouth and it is disgusting. I'm talking about it is the nastiest thing I've ever tasted. But she, during this time, is being so nurturing. It reminded me now looking back on it, looking at videos of Coco the gorilla with her kittens, how she would nudge them and love on them and and try to get them close to her and she could, you know, generally take care that she generally could tell that she cared that's what this gorilla she was you know she was she was she was worried about me and 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 i don't it's really weird while all that was going on man i'm just i'm panicking um but i can't i can't move i got took into the hospital later after i was found after i didn't come home they they came out looking for me and i had a broken back but as she was doing that back behind her there was something much, much larger than she was. And it, we have wild boars here in the south, in Mississippi. I live in central Mississippi, right on the uh, Alabama line. And we have wild pig here that they're pretty big. You know, they, they can get 260, 300 pounds for a wild boar. And, you know, that, that can do a lot of damage. But what was behind her, I never saw the full vision of it because I couldn't see that far. But the sound that it made, it was like, <laughs> like it was communicating with her, but it was so deep and so guttural. And it's just like it went through my chest and went all into my body and it was pulsating. And man, when I heard that, I, I knew that I was either something was, something was coming to kill me. I was done for. But she turned around and she would, kind of communicate like do her little noise and then it just got me it got really aggressive and light and then she kind of pushed me away not really aggressively but kind of like okay i'm through and then she got up and she left but man i'm telling you whatever that was behind her i'm glad that he didn't come over there man it, it just sounded like a beast i mean just a beast and it just shook me to my core whenever it made that noise i could feel it in my whole body like it was sitting on my chest and like I said, I, 
few left, and I other whatever was in the woods with left too. I'm, I'm suspecting that was a male. And then my family coming found me because I hadn't come home and it was getting dark and, and things. All this was happening later. When I woke up, whenever I was lifted, it, it was probably around 5.30, 6. So it was kind of, it was almost dark then, but it was so low lit. And then about, I really don't know time. It was dark and my family came and, and found me. I'm really not sure what time that was. But I didn't come home, and, uh, you know, they knew where I was going hunting at. That's one thing. And all you hunters out there, if you hunt by yourself, if you got the iPhone app or any Android apps that's got any kind of find me, cut that on or let your family members know where you're going and go where you say you're going. You know, if I would have snuck off somewhere else, you know, I would have laid there probably. No telling what would have going to happen. If that big thing wouldn't have got me, man, we got coyotes down here and, Bobcats, and if I couldn't move, and I was just laying there helplessly, man, ain't no telling what can happen. But and where you harness in a tree, man, that's so important. <laughs> Number one, I, I'm not getting back in the tree, but if I hit, if I do, then you know I'm gonna have to, you know, you got you got to wear a harness if you're up there. But that's my story. Appreciate it. Well, wow, yeah, that's wild. I also love the ending. Is like, uh, you know, the more you know, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's a life lesson great. too, right? Yeah, look, I mean, that tracks, it all makes sense. You know, if these creatures are out there, I could totally see them seeing him in distress and Mm. the maternal instinct to try to nurse or help someone um, who she knew was injured and something that looks so closely similar to to them, you know? So I I get that. That all makes sense. if we assume or if we want to make the leap that Bigfoot exists, yeah, wild. Wild story, very specific, obviously. Um, the skeptic side of me would say the shock and trauma from that backbreaking, that this was a hallucination or a fever dream in the middle of that and some just real primal stuff kicked up from his subconscious Mm -hmm. you know and when his body was suffering went to a very primal place of like i need mom i need protection you know and something just deep within your psyche bubbled up and that's what you're getting yeah you know maybe the sour taste of the milk is blood in his mouth or something you know so there so i can see that too i mean i've had dreams you know that are very primal in that way and feel very powerful and almost feel like you're making contact with some ancient old entity. But I certainly wouldn't discount this from being a very physical and real tangible possibility that like two Sasquatch like helped him out of that tree. And then, you know, maybe Papa Bigfoot's like, this guy's got a gun. Let's get out of here. We've been watching this guy. Let's leave him here. Yeah, you know we gotta go. We gotta split in case there are others like him around here that might shoot us. You know, um, I really like that explanation you just gave. That that perhaps it is some sort of fever dream. I, I'd never heard anybody mention that before. I certainly never thought of it. I but mean, I'm grabbing I'm, I'm for sh- logical straws here. I mean, that that yeah, makes the most if, sense. If we're just take, you know, who knows? You know, I'm saying that's the skeptical side of me. Sure, I'm not sure. saying I come down one way or another on the either, because I I do think that. 
you know, as he pointed out, like Coco the gorilla, primates will do. You know, we hear stories about like kids falling into the zoo, mm-hmm. you know, into the primate, yeah. and the and the mother gorillas will scoop up the baby and protect them. So that that tracks with primatology, I think. You know, and it's and almost it would, like human behavior would would be yeah, described 100%. here. Yeah. Well, if we saw an injured animal in the woods, you know, most of us would try to help. You know, if we found a bird with a broken wing, we'd cradle it and try to figure out how to yeah. help it. And then what else um, we do? We put a little saucer with some water in there too, right? Yeah, feed we it. Try to yeah, feed exactly. That thing. Yeah, yeah. Like I found a hummingbird outside my building on the sidewalk. I scooped it up. I made some sugar water, and I sat there and nursed it until it flew off. You know, there's nice. that instinct to do that. So that all tracks, you know, and it's a very human. It shows the human side of Bigfoot. You know, I, I don't know, man. I mean. I, w- I don't I don't disbelieve it. Yeah, yeah, I'll say that. You know, here's here's one little wrinkle of the story that that adds a little bit of uh, credibility, in my opinion. Mac actually called this story in once before, but sometimes when people call my hotline from rural areas, Mississippi, obviously being one of those, uh, the connection's just not great, and sometimes I can't play the call. It's just I can make out some of what's being said, but I can't make out of it. So anyway, I, I got a hold of him, and I said, you know, I'd love it if you resubmitted this story. And not only did he do that, but it's almost word for word. I mean, there's no variation whatsoever between the two stories. So either he has it perfectly rehearsed or this actually happened to him, in my opinion. Well, and also who wants to tell that story? Who wants to make up and be like, like, I sucked on Bigfoot's breasts. Like, nobody wants to, like, tell that story necessarily. That's why I think whatever happened, it was real to him, whether it was a hallucination and a fever dream in that moment with his body so injured Mm -hmm. or that it was literally what he says it was. I don't think this is a guy who's making up this story. I believe I agree. I believe he had this experience 100 percent. That's that's it's one of my favorite calls. And as far as Bigfoot goes, it's probably the most wild Bigfoot call that I've ever heard firsthand from somebody. Also, what was that strange, like, Bigfoot sound at the beginning That's of that call? That's the other thing. I left that in there because uh, in the middle of him talking, he's you know you hear that sound. In the original recording, it's much lower, and I actually punched up that audio right there so you can hear that it's some sort of howl. And, you know, I live, yeah. I live in the mountains here in California, and I deal with coyotes constantly. In fact, right before we started recording, there was a pack literally right outside my window. I couldn't see him, but I could hear him. And mm. I was thinking, are they going to ruin this for me? Am I going to have to push this recording? Yeah. Uh, so I'm very familiar with the way they sound, and they don't sound like that. That's it's a wolf. No. That's a hound dog or something. Ooh. It's like yeah, a, that was that's something a weird. classic television movie werewolf howl is what that was. Yeah. Sounds like some of the Bigfoot calls I've heard. You yeah. Know, vocal vocalizations. Creepy. Creepy stuff. Crazy stuff. Great story, Derek. That was awesome. All great stories. Thank, Thank you for Thank sharing you. those with me. Well, speaking of which, I appreciate you being here and taking the time to, to sit down and talk with me and, and talk shop on some of these. I love getting other opinions on, on these calls. You know, I, I hear them week in and week out throw my opinions out there, but I'd love to hear what other people have to think. So thank you so much for being here and, and sharing all your wisdom with us. And if you don't mind, tell people where we can find you, where we can find BCC yeah. and, and everything else. Um, follow us at Bigfoot Collectors Club on Instagram. We do a lot of posting about our sh- uh, about the show over there. 
You can subscribe to the podcast itself, Bigfoot Collectors Club, wherever you're listening to this. We also have a Patreon, Bigfoot Collectors Club, The Other Side, which is just the parallel dimension of the show. We expand uh, further into some of this stuff and watch you know, movies and shows and documentaries and talk about that stuff. We also have guests on uh, there occasionally, so it's just more... It's kind of the deeper, we get a little deeper on the other side. Nice. Um, so check, if you're a fan of the show and you want to support us, uh, co- check out the Patreon. You won't regret it. We get three to five bonus episodes out every month. We do some video shows and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, check us out there. And we're on Twitter at Bigfoot Pod, but really our social media hub is our Instagram at Bigfoot Collectors Club. And we're going to be doing, I don't know when this comes out, but we will be doing a live feed recording from the virtual clubhouse on September 15th at 9 p.m. Eastern, uh, 8 p.m. Central, uh, Wednesday, September 15th oh, with the, uh, on the platform Ludo. So we'll have information on how to get tickets to that uh, on our Instagram and the link tree in our bio as well. So that if you're around, fun. if this comes out and you want to come watch us do the show live in the moment, unedited, and, uh, you know... That'll, I think we're going to have fun uh, doing that. So that's coming up in a few weeks. That, that sounds great for the listener and nerve-wracking for the three of you guys. <laughs> yeah, we'll be fine. <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure it'll, it'll sound amazing, but I couldn't imagine putting <laughs> myself through that. But uh, this actually drops either tonight or tomorrow. So oh, you have plenty of time to, to go check that out and, great. and go check out Bigfoot Collectors Club. And do you have anything on the big screen that we should be looking out for? Uh, nothing to announce yet. No. So just, uh, check out, follow me at, uh, McMills on Instagram and I'll keep you posted when I'm doing fun stuff. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Michael. We appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks so much, dude. On a summer night, Douglas Wagg Jr. lay motionless across a strip of railroad tracks before being struck by an oncoming train. I'm investigative journalist Delia D'Ambra, and my investigation into exactly how Doug died took me into the depths of a bizarre mystery. It was really hard to understand what was fact and what wasn't. A mystery that has led me from one suspicious death to another. Listen to CounterClock now, wherever you listen to podcasts.